Oh, that's much better. This afternoon we had a members meeting, and at the members meeting we made some significant decisions. The most important, I think, or the significant, which was that we are, have appointed two interim pastors, one for four days a week and one for three and a half days a week. David Daniels, who is with us tonight, the Reverend David Daniels, three and a half days a week. And the Reverend David Butterfield, who was at Jimboomba but has uh, left there and is now in between. And so he'll be joining, they'll be starting on 10th of March, I think it is, and will be serving until 31st of December, uh, God willing, and depending on other things that are happening. We also have a pastoral search committee for an associate pastor that Coralie Lowe is leading, and that is continuing as they look for an associate pastor primarily for youth and probably now also with responsibility in perhaps young adults. That's the area at the moment we're looking at. That may change. Um, And there's probably uh, the development of another associate pastor group as well to come. So that was a good decision to make today. Um, But that means it's been a very long day um, for me. So I preached twice this morning, had a Japanese lunch. That went really well for some of you who were at the Japanese lunch where we raised something like over $800, $900, something like that for the Westerns. And we had fun last night with the Welcome Home Yong and Suzanne, and uh, I'm not sure how much we raised, but it was $5 a head, and there were about 100 people here, so I'm not sure if that covered the cost or what that was doing, but we need to pray for Yong that he'll find a job as they settle back here into Australia. They've been living with her folks, um, and this week they moved from over at Redland Bay across to their family home back over here, and so pray that all of that goes really well. Uh, It's delightful in God's providence that we have two outstanding students in training guys, ministers with us in Josh and Brendan. Brendan's with us tonight. Don't know where Josh is. I'll put that down and check him on that. He's what? Playing basketball. Uh, I mean, reaching the lost in uh, dunking. Okay. The fifth Sunday in March is the 30th of March, and that's going to be a baptismal service. And I know some of you are thinking about that, but perhaps some of you others are in the process of thinking about that. If you want to line up for that, then we need to have a conversation with you and do some preparation for it. So if you've never been baptised, you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, and you need to be baptised to be obedient to his commands, then come and have a chat about that. Are there any other announcements that I need to be giving? I can't think of any. Sorry? Oh, thank you. We have Keith and Alyssa with us tonight with little baby Lillian Grace. First time in church since she arrived. You guys are doing okay? Excellent. She, uh, she was um, 50 centimetres and about 50 pounds, wasn't she? Something like that. She a lovely little girl? Of course she is. We're delighted to see you guys here tonight. Um, <clears throat> Sonia Odinsky. Not many of you will know Sonia, but Sonia was a neighbour of our church. She lived across here in the whitish coloured house. There's a blue house here, that's Dorothy, and then next to her was Sonia, and her son lives there now. Sonia had an operation last Thursday night. She had a tumour on one of her kidneys, and she went into a coma after the operation. The operation went well, but there was bleeding. She went back into the theatre, and Thursday night, Friday morning, she passed away. Uh, She was a lovely lady. She was a German lady. She was
You're on. Should be on. Can you hear me? Not on. No, I can't hold that. Is it because it's under the shirt? I thought it was the connector pressing the connector. Let's give that a go. Yeah. Testing. One, two, three. Buckle my shoe. What do I do? Stick it in my pocket? Yeah. I think it'll be better in your pocket. And if it doesn't press against your waist, you can check with your shirt. The cable, though, does it? Yeah. Let's sit it there. Sit it okay with the shirt over? Should be okay? Yeah. Testing. One, two, three, four. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Excuse me. Thank you, everybody. Please be seated. Enough hugging and kissing. The other thing I had to tell you tonight was about yellow cards. The yellow cards we have that you received in your bulletins are a great way to communicate. Um, on one side, on the back of it, it has uh, prayer requests and has lines, and you can use this both for prayer requests or you can also use it uh, simply for communication, for encouraging or, or whatever, making comments. And I would encourage you to do that. Um, I think I said to the 10.30 service this morning, for instance, if something's happening in your life, you don't want it to go in prayer and praise, you don't want people to be praying about it, but you just want to let the pastors know about it or whatever, then you can simply write on this and simply say, you know, I'm looking for a new car and just sign it, Josh 10, or something like that. And Josh did do that. He got a new VW Golf just recently. So that's a real example. Or you could put on it, you know, I'm snowed under and I have an exam due, a two and a half thousand word essay that I have to have done by Thursday, signed Brendan Cotton, which is also a true story. <laughs> Did you get it done? Oh, sorry. Um, or on here, Helen Close has written, and uh, this will go in the prayer and praise, I guess, but it's going to miss it because my, I, I have an operation tomorrow on my foot. And it's to rectify um, something that an operation or something that happened two years ago. Please pray that they get it right. She gave it to me this morning and she said, I need to tell you, it's for six o'clock in the morning. You need to pray today. Because <laughs> if we give it to prayer and praise tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, God can't backdate prayers, can he? That's an interesting theological question. Can God backdate prayers? Put up your hand if you say yes. Let's pray for those heretics. No, God can't backdate prayers. Good grief. Oh, what, like Superman, go around the earth, turn time back, do that? No. He doesn't backdate prayers. He doesn't do it. He knows ahead of time and he answers them before you ask. Yeah, right. He is God and he knows ahead of time. He does say in the scriptures that he'll answer your prayers even before you ask. But he doesn't backdate. He doesn't backdate prayers. <laughs> Dr. Don Batten, repent. He can, turn, he can stop the sun and he can turn it back, but he doesn't. <sighs> but he could if he wanted to. Do you agree? I'll keep going until you agree. <laughs> 
we're going to pray. Let's pray. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thanks that we can be together again tonight. We thank you for each other. And we thank you most of all, Lord, that you are a God who is for us. As Warren has reminded us, you're a God who loves us, a God who wants to forgive us, a God who wants to be in relationship with us. And we are flawed, fallen, and we stumble, we mess up. You pick us up, dust us off, and encourage us to keep moving forward. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. And we do pray for Helen and for this operation tomorrow and pray that you'll go before and that it might be successful, that you'll grant the surgeons good skill. You're the Lord who heals and we ask for good healing, restoration in that troublesome ankle. Thank you, Lord, for new birth. Thank you for Keith and Alyssa and for little baby Lillian. And pray your blessing upon them as a family. We're just delighted, Lord, they could be with us tonight. And then, Lord, for Sonia, particularly for her family, for Art and for Paul, for the memorial service that's coming, we simply pray that you'll be honoured through the testimony of her life. Thank you for her very simple faith in you. And I pray, Lord, that through the memorial service, you might be honoured and you might draw near to a family and to people who desperately need you in their life. We pray the same thing for ourselves, asking, Lord, that you would bless us and speak to us tonight. We thank you for the two Davids, David Daniels and David Butterfield, and for the decision today, and we commit them to you and ask for a blessing upon their ministry as they come amongst us, as they serve us in this capacity. And, Lord, we are most grateful for the Lord Jesus. May you shape us to be more like him through what we talk about this night, and we pray in your name. Everybody said? We're working our way through a book called The God Who Was There. So it's really, uh, the theme is about learning what the God of the Bible is like. And it's jumping through the significant passages, high points of the scripture. So you'll get an overview of what the Bible is about as well. And this is our third week in. The first week uh, we spoke about how God made everything. He's the owner of everything. He's the sovereign creator. Um, he owns it all. We were made in his image and everything was good when he started Last week we spoke about how in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve messed up. They made choices that were bad choices and as a result of that sin, we have now been removed from the Garden. We are separated from God and God was not a God who wiped us out. Uh, somehow he was patient with us, that he has a higher purpose, another plan and he gave a promise in the Garden to Adam and Eve that one day he would send someone, the seed of the woman, who would destroy the works of the evil one and would put things right. Well, tonight we're going to come and we're going to look at the God who writes his own agreements. The God who enters into covenants, contracts, agreements with his people. And some of those are unconditional. He simply says, this is what I am going to do. It's like a promise. Or, and there are some of them which are conditional. If you do this, then I'll do that. It's, it has a component for us to play in it. And there are lots of scripture passages and thank you Liana for reading Acts 17 at the very last minute because the IT certainly indicated lots of readings in Genesis that we will get through tonight. But I decided the last minute there, let's just read Acts 17, it makes the most sense. So we're going to begin by answering the question, how did you think about the relationship of God with people? Now different people have different ideas. And it'd be interesting to find out what you guys think. Um, but my question tonight is not so much just what do you think, but really 
how do you think people out there think about how people have a relationship with God? Does that make sense? So not necessarily what you think, but what you understand how other people think they can have or what God is like and therefore how he relates to us. Okay? So I want to give you some think time. I'm going to give you a lot of think time. But I want you to think about that, talk to somebody beside you and then maybe call out some answers and see where we go. There are three primary models or types of relationship that I want to talk about and we'll see if you get those or whatever. Okay? How long do you need? 90 seconds? How do people think about, what do they think God is like so that he can relate to us? What is he like? Okay? Turn to the people beside you, have a chat very quickly, 90 seconds. We're done? Still going? We're done. We're still going, keep going. But listen, you have to multitask. If, what do you think people think about God and how we have a relationship with him? What do you think? He's got an answer. Tracy. Okay, he's a God who listens and a God who answers prayer. Okay, so that God's not real. Okay. Something else? God is a crutch. Um, Is that like someone we can lean on in time of need? Uh, Someone who's just for weak people? Okay. When you need him, he's there. When you don't don't need him, don't worry about it. Okay. That's more a statement about us of... We're weak and, yeah. It sort of implies that God is a God who so desperate for friends or something, he'll take us even at those points and then leave us. Yeah. Joy. Yeah, that's a good one. Like a magical genie type person who you pray and he'll give you what you want. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Yep. Oh. An absolute last resort or a judge who's waiting to jump on you when you do the wrong thing. Okay? Is that it? We're done? No, down here. I don't think people think that um, 
People don't tend to think we have a relationship with God. Okay, interesting. Maybe I'm asking, not asking the question in a helpful way. We done? Many people think of God as like a large, gentle, soft, white-haired, grey-beard, older gentleman who's like a very loving grandfather who's there to spoil you. Who's maybe a little bit out of touch, but who's very gentle and caring and when you do things wrong it's you know oh they're there it's okay and you know boys will be boys and girls will be girls and some people see God like that that he's just a soft teddy bear Um, some people see God as huge massive but distant and uncaring He's the God who made everything, some would say. Um, but it's like he made it in the beginning, he wound up a clock and he just set things going and now he is distant and aloof and he's a long way from creation and he doesn't really know what's going on, he's not interested in what's going on and in fact, when you look at us in the solar system, us in the, in the universe, in our galaxy and so on, um, we are on this little planet and we are little creatures on this planet and we are insignificant. He doesn't care about us at all. He doesn't know about us. Um, He's big and powerful, but he's distant. We don't know anything about him. Some people think of God like that. Theists. Um, The ancient world used to think about God as multiple gods. And that the gods were like us, but more powerful. And they were needy. They had whims and wishes and desires and they wanted things. And they were like regional or they were specific. They were specialists. They were the god of the sea or the god of the wind or the god of whatever. And if you wanted to go on a trip on the sea, for instance, then you would go to the temple of the god, Neptune, who was in charge of the sea, and you would, whatever, do the rituals or make a donation or do the sacrifice, and you would ask him to give you safety as you travel on the sea, and you hoped that he would hear you and answer you and give you calm sea and safe travel. And if you were sick, then you would go to the god of this temple who was in charge of healing. And if um, you had to give a public speech or something, you would go to the god of Hermes or the god of Mercury or somebody and ask him to empower you. And it's like, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. I'll do what you want me to do if you'll give me what I want. I'll make the sacrifices, I'll do the ritual, I'll do the worship stuff, but I want you to do something for me. And it was subject to whims and fancies. God's more like uh, selfish and moody. The gods. Some people think like that in our world today. Some Christians think like that about God. I wonder if you do. I know two people in this church who think about God like that. That their idea was... If I do exactly what God tells me to do, if he says get baptised, I get baptised. If he says I should pray, I pray. If he says I should go to church, I go to church. If he says I should read the Bible, I read the Bible. He says if I should tithe, I tithe. Whatever God says, I do. But the deal is this. I do what he tells me to do, then he looks after me. 
And when I get married, I'll have a good marriage. And when I have children, they won't rebel. And that when I get a job, I won't lose my job. Good things will happen to me because I am doing what God wants me to do. And the deal is I do what he wants me to do and he looks after me. That's no different to the gods, the ancient world who believed in the gods and scratching their back. I'm doing what you want, God. Now you have to look after me. I wonder if you think like that. I had a guy in our church who came into my office. This is years ago now. It's an old story. And he broke down. He was crying. And he couldn't figure it out. He said, I did all that God wanted me to do. And now my wife is leaving me. She loves somebody else. It doesn't make sense. God said, if I did this, that wouldn't happen. Or just recently, I had a family and they, one of them is very cranky with God because their kids are going off the deep end, things are happening. And they're furious with God. We did what we were supposed to do. We handed them over to God. We trusted God. We prayed. We interceded. We prayed for them every day. We did everything we were supposed to do. And it's not working. Same attitude. If I do this, God will do that. But the Bible doesn't talk about our relationship with God to be like that. It doesn't talk about God as a large impersonal force. The Bible talks about God as a person. In fact, triune persons. The Bible doesn't talk about God as being distant. It talks about him being up close and personal. It doesn't talk about God being indifferent to us. It talks about him knowing all the details of our life. The Bible even says that a sparrow, a little insignificant bird, a little brown sparrow, doesn't fall to the ground without him knowing about it. In fact, the Bible even talks about the hairs on our head and that God knows the number. And so for all of us, that's a decreasing number each day, is it not? When you have a shower, isn't there hair in the shower? There isn't? Liar. (laughs) Sometimes it grows back, sometimes it doesn't. The point is, God knows. He knows that, do you know how many hairs you've got in your head? I can't find the article, but I read an article many years ago that spoke about, depending on the colour of hair you've got, they can tell you the number of hairs that you have on your head. So if it's blonde or if it's black or if it's brown or if it's you know, red or auburn, and the numbers vary. And apparently other genetic factors kick in as well. What is God like in terms of our relationship with him? Well, the Apostle Paul in that passage that Liana read to us addresses that very issue about what is God like and how he relates to us in the midst of all of these different understandings or expectations... In this passage, the Apostle Paul at the Areopagus says, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Walked around, saw all of these altars, and I see one altar which says to an unknown God. There's a whole story, excuse me, associated with that that we won't go into. He says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. There are not many gods, there's one God. And this God does not live in temples made by hands. He can't be limited. He can't be controlled. He cannot be manipulated. 
He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. There's nothing we can do to give him or bribe him or manipulate him, con him. He doesn't need anything because he himself gives all of us life and breath and everything else. We need him. From one person, from one man, he made every nation of people that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him. Though the reality is he is not far from each one of us. It's not distant, not aloof. For in him we live and move and have our being. Even as one of your non-Christian pagan poets wrote, we are his offspring. He spoke a greater truth than he was aware of. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we shouldn't think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. It's not a statue. It's not an image made by people. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to change their minds, to repent. And he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. And he's given proof of that by raising that same man, that judge, from the dead, Jesus. God cannot be manipulated he cannot can be trolled. He doesn't need anything. Doesn't need our worship, doesn't need our money. He's not needy. You don't have God on Thursday saying, I can't wait till Sunday when I'll suddenly start singing praise songs to me and I'll feel so much better about myself. He didn't make us because he was lonely. That's a common misunderstanding. God did not make us because he was lonely or he wanted fellowship. That's not it. For eternity, before God made the world, before anything existed, there was the Father, Son and the Spirit in perfect unity. For how long? Forever. They already had a community and it was already perfect. Well, then why, why did God do it? For his own glory. He made us in his image because he wanted to. He doesn't need us. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't respond to us, that he doesn't take note of us, that he doesn't delight in us, he does all of those things that he can be very pleased with us. But the reality is, as Paul says here, God doesn't need us, but we need him. Every breath we take. Jesus tells a story of a man who was a very rich man who had a bumper season and who decided that he would expand his barnyards to store all of his treasures. And having made that decision, that very night, the scripture says, God says to him, you fool. This very night, I require your soul. Tonight, you die. Our life is in his hands, not ours. We need him. That's what the Bible talks about. And God has made it um, possible for us to know him because he has set the terms of the arrangement of the relationship. I've done this before, and I've probably done it at night a few times. If you wanted to meet the Queen of England... How could you do it? I think it's nearly impossible. I don't think you could do it. My daughter Kate and Dan are waiting to go to London. They're going there, God willing, for the next uh, three plus years. He's going to work with UBS and stuff and they're still waiting for that appointment. They're going to be living in London. They're going to be living not far from where the Queen lives. I could imagine they could get in the cab one weekend and just drive down to Buckingham Palace and say g'day to Liz. Don't you? No. 
Of course not. You won't get nearer. Can't write her a letter, you can't ring her up, you can't send her an email. One guy tried driving a helicopter into the front lawn of Buckingham Palace. He got arrested. That didn't work. If you want to meet the Queen of England, she's going to have to initiate it. That's true. Well, so too with the Sovereign God. You want to meet him, then he's going to have to initiate it. And the good news is he has. And the person he sent to make the introductions is the Lord Jesus. That's the amazing thing about God. But in the unfolding of the story of the Bible, the God who made us, the God who didn't wipe us out when we rebelled against him, is the God who says, okay, I have a plan. It's going to take a while to work the plan out, but this is my plan. I'm going to give certain promises to, the Jewish, to my people, the Jewish people, and I'm going to enter into a contract, a binding contract with them, um, which is a demonstration of my commitment to this relationship. So way back in Genesis chapter 12, do we have that? Thank you. The Lord God said to Abram, that was his name back then, leave your country. He's living way over in the land of uh, Ur, Chaldeans. I want you to leave here, your people and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I'll make for you a great nation, and I will bless you. There's the promise. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Take note of that line. And all peoples, all nations, all ethnic groups on earth will be blessed through you. He's referring to Jesus, who will ultimately come through the seed of Abraham. When God has this conversation with Abraham, he is 75 years of age. And it's going to take 25 years for that promise that God gave him for him to have the son with his wife, Sarai. And they do have a son, Isaac, when he is 100. It's a whole other story. But the point of this part of the story is God made a promise and he kept it. And then that son, Isaac, eventually marries and uh, Rebecca, and they have twins. And when she's having twins, God says, here's something new and different. The elder normally is the one in charge. But in this case, the younger one is going to be the one that I choose. Jacob will be served by Esau. I choose Jacob. Sovereign grace, God working his purposes out in human history. All for the point of that last line, that all peoples on the earth will be blessed through the seed, through the one who is to come. Well, then there is that promise. But then God also enters into a covenant with Abraham. It's not a particularly attractive covenant, but nonetheless, it's a covenant back in their culture and their time. And here it is, Genesis 17. Thanks, Amy. Um, a covenant is like a contract that God entered into. And normally covenants were, um, there are two parties and that they both enter into it and they both have obligations. They both have a responsibility. And that if one party breaks their responsibility, well, the covenant is null and void. Yeah, but look at this covenant. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face downward. God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations. I'll make you very fruitful. I will make you a nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, 
I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant. That's what I'm going to do. Now this is what you've got to do. You and all descendants after you and the generations to come, this is my covenant with you and your descendants. The covenant you are to keep is that every male among you is to be circumcised. Bother, says Abraham. But that's God's sign. It wasn't unique and it wasn't unheard of in ancient history, but it's something that God took to be a symbol and a sign, a regular reminder that these people belonged to him and the people were to keep that covenant to demonstrate their allegiance to him um, and God was setting his seal of approval upon the covenant well then in between these two chapters there is this remarkable story in Genesis 15 it's a weird story but it demonstrates a great truth about God and about his commitment to our relationship with us in Genesis 15 this is verses 8 to 10 um, this is Abraham asking a question um, and he gets this weird vision. Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of the land? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, and along with them bring a dove and a young pigeon. So Abraham brought all of these, he cut them in two, he arranged the halves opposite each other and the birds, however, he didn't cut in half, he put one bird on one side and one bird on the other. So you've got the picture. These three animals cut down the middle, separated, and a bird on each side. And then the birds of prey started coming down, and Abraham drove them away, and the sun started to set. Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and there was this thick and dreadful darkness came over him. So now he's in a dream state, protecting these carcasses. And in the midst of this dream state, the Lord speaks to him. And the Lord says, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation where they serve as slaves, Egypt, and after they come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had fully set and darkness had fallen, he not only heard this thing in his dream state, but he saw something. He saw a smoking pot, a pot, a fire pot with smoke coming out of it and a blazing torch and they were just sort of like floating they appeared and they passed between the pieces of the animal on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham Genesis chapter what's that about this that in the ancient world what would often happen is where you have kings fighting or rich landowners you know coming to an agreement they would often take an animal cut it in half separate it and then they would join hands and they would walk between it. And they were basically symbolising by doing that, that I have entered into an agreement with you that we'll keep peace, that we'll do what we have agreed to do. And if I break my covenant, if I don't do what I said to you that I would do, if I break my word, then do to me what we have done to these animals. Take my life, slaughter me. That's what they're saying. Well, now in this vision of Abraham, take these three animals, cut them in half and a bird either side, it's not Abraham who walks through the midst of them. It's this smoking pot and torch symbolising God's presence that passes through. It's God saying, I am committing myself to a covenant with you, Abraham. On your behalf, there is no obligation. You have to keep um, the circumcision as the sign of the covenant. That's it. 
but everything else I promise and vow that I will do. That's God fulfilling this um, unconditional covenant. Um, This is a common covenant type thing in the ancient world and that's what God does here with him. God enters into it himself. That God will take full responsibility for the fulfilment of the covenant upon himself and he does in Jesus. All of this is leading forward to that. Finally, the last story for tonight is Genesis 22, which is where Abraham is challenged and tested by God to take that son that he had promised, that God had given in his senior years. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, Genesis 22, verse 1. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Lord, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. The God that we follow is a God who is sovereign, the creator, who is not needy, who, though on the other hand, we desperately depend upon, who enters into covenants and agreements with us to achieve a relationship, who may very well test us, that that which he has given us, he may ask us to abandon. And Genesis doesn't tell us a story, but Romans chapter 4 does, that Abraham in his mind... Take my son, my favourite son, my only son through Sarah, and kill him. But he's the child of the promise. This is the one who will come, who will put everything right. And God is asking me to kill him. Well, Abraham reasons, well, if God has asked me to kill him, and he's the promised one, Romans chapter 4, therefore God must be going to raise him again from the dead. I will do what God says. And Abraham does. The next day he gets his donkey, he heads off with him. And Isaac says to his dad, Father, yes, my son, I see the fire in the wood. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Listen to Abraham's reply. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And he will. God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. He will provide Jesus. And the two of them went on together. And it's an amazing story that here is Isaac, a teenage boy, who in complete submission to his father, picture of the Lord Jesus, is willing to offer his life up. And here is Abraham with a knife raised and the angel of the Lord intervening, Abraham, Abraham, don't do it. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. And Abraham looked in the, in the thickets, he saw a ram caught by the horns and he takes the ram and he sacrifices it and fulfills the worship experience. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And it was, Jesus, Calvary. And the Lord says to Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through you, your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed through Jesus because you have obeyed me. That's the God that the Bible talks about, the God who made us, the God who is patient with us when we rebel against him. 
but a God who will deal with sin and evil in his own time. And he's the God who is, enters into covenants, into relationships with us and commits himself to it. Requires a response from us, but he takes the weight of the responsibilities upon his own shoulder that he will achieve this, that he will do that. Sovereign God enters into covenants with people just like us. And so I guess the obvious question is, have you responded? Have you entered into a covenant with this God? Or do you still see God as distant, huge and powerful, but unconcerned about you? Or a God that you must perform religious ceremonies for and scratch his back so he'll do things for you? Or do you see him as a big, soft grandfather who will just be very patient and told it doesn't matter what you do, he'll just forgive you? He's not like any of those. As we've been saying tonight, he's sovereign, he's powerful, he's personal, he's close, and he wants to be in a relationship with us. And the only way that's possible is through Jesus. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, we live in a world of um, a multitude of communications and lots of things buzzing around. And we read things like this tonight and we have to work pretty hard at understanding it. So I pray that you might continue to help us get a glimpse of who you are, the sovereign God, to whom we owe everything. We thank you that you have been patient with us even when we rebel against you. Even, Lord, when we want to run our own life and do our own thing, you haven't given up on us. We thank you for the covenant, the new covenant especially, through the Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you might open our eyes, that we might see you, the sovereign creator, that we might glorify you and that we might um, pursue you with a passion each day. We thank you for Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away our sin. We pray in his name. Amen.